On today's Midcourt Madness, the first weekend of the tournament is over. And there's a lot of upsets to go over. Um, you know, 15 seed Oral Roberts is, you know, 12 seed in the, in the Sweet 16 as, a, as well as 11 seed Syracuse. Uh, we will get into all of that right after this. So, Biggs, let's start off with the uh, the South region. This is the Baylor region, also known as the top right region, which we coined it. And I think the first takeaway that I noticed, you know, Baylor Baylor didn't really get tested at all this week. You know, Wisconsin, they sort of hung strong, but couldn't really cut into that lead and get it to single digits at all. Yeah, I think I think any talk of Baylor's demise were, were maybe a little exaggerated after one loss in their Big 12 tournament. You know, they hadn't looked great coming out of their COVID pause on the defensive end of the floor. They got back to they got back to playing defense. Smalls they forced I think fourteen turnovers on Wisconsin, which is like uh, you know about twice as many as the Badgers generally average. I think they average about nine turnovers a game. So you take you take it away fourteen times from them, and um, you know they they looked just the first half. I mean they just they were on another level, and and really it was just kind of cruise control in the second half. And you're right, Wisconsin Wisconsin kind of made a little run to to keep things just interesting enough that you couldn't turn it away, but. I don't know. Did that game ever feel in doubt to you? Nope, it didn't. And, you know, they were able to cool off the hot shooting for on Brad Davison and Demetrik Trice, who shot just ridiculously well against North Carolina in the round prior. 29 points for Davison and 21 points for Trice, but then those two combined for just 20 points against Baylor. Um, and that's all I'm going to talk about the North Carolina game. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting seeing, you know, a team with good guards who can defend well and see how they can just, you know, cool off a team that was just ridiculously hot in the first round. Yeah, I mean, you just you just look at how quick they are and just the athleticism kind of advantage that that Baylor's guards have. I mean, they're just they're just everywhere all over the floor. They're just kind of ball hawks and they're so active and you know, you watch them offensively and the way they cut and pass and move and the ball is just it's like a hot potato moving around. That that activity level shows up on the defensive end too. And that's what made them so good early in the season. You know, when we were, when we were kind of doing the tier one, one a for Gonzaga, and then it was one, one dash lowercase B for Baylor, you know, whatever that was. Baylor's right there with them. I think and, and it's because <laughs> of their defense and it's because those guards are just so active and they, they feast on guys and, and Mark vital. I mean, I know people will talk about Baylor doesn't have a lot of size. They do. They have plenty of size. Their bigs don't score. So they're not going to, they're not going to draw a ton of headlines, but, but Mark Vital is as good defensively a big man as there is in the country. He, he's capable of guarding kind of one through five. He's kind of that, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, some of the guys that kind of remind you of Draymond Green. Vital kind of does that on the defensive end of the floor for Baylor. He holds the whole thing together. And then and they have a couple of just kind of anchor bigs who do the dirty work uh, on the defensive end of the floor. Here comes Kansas. Yeah. And the next team I want to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't go too far with that already, Big. That's fair. Um, next game I want to talk, next team I want to talk about bigs is that Villanova team. And this is one who you and I each both wrote off after that injury to Colin Gillespie. And there wasn't really any big, you know, replacement player. They had, you know, I think it was Chris Archidiacono sort of come in and start at the points. Um, the younger brother, Ryan Archidiacono, um, but didn't really do much. I don't know if he scored 10 points for the whole weekend, to be honest. And they sort of just went with a little bit of a, you know, 
four players just gradually improving their stats and were able to win against Winthrop and also against your your mean green from North Texas. Yeah, they took out my mean green from Texas. And I think um, you're right with Nova. It's just kind of ball handler by committee. And, you know, this is kind of one of those things where maybe I think they were talking about it on the post game about how just, you know, when, when Gillespie goes down, they have two days and they got to play again. And then they have a couple of days and they got to play in the Big East tournament. Well, after that, they had like a week off. That's probably valuable practice time to regroup and kind of refigure out your plan because the identity has to change a ton uh, when a guy as important as Gillespie goes out, right? I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And, and, and I mean, really, I think we overthink this, right? I mean, it's Villanova. They're not they're, – that's a program that's not built on one player being great. They, they got – they have – they got horses, you know I mean? They got really good players – and, and maybe they don't replace Gillespie with any one guy, but, you know, the old, the old cliche that it just everybody kind of steps up a little bit and increases, you know, what they can do, like you said. Um, and then I do think an, an underrated kind of under-talked-about kind of piece to their roster uh, is Brian Antoine, actually. He came off the bench. I mean, you talked about Archie Diacono. He's really kind of a big guy. I think he only played like 15 minutes a game, even though he starts. Brian Antoine was a five-star recruit two years ago for them. A lot of people thought he would be a really, really big component to last year's team. Missed all of last year as a freshman with an injury, and he's missed a decent chunk of this year with an injury. really just hasn't played a ton, but he's played over 20 minutes in their first two games, and, and, and his scoring isn't huge, but he gets some six or eight points. He, he plays really good defense because he's so long and wiry. Um, and that just gives you another quality ball handler and another another perimeter guy who can play. And and, James, and, uh, and Jeremiah robinson Earls really stepped up his game. I think he's he averaged 20 points and like yep. nine rebounds and I think six assists in the, over the two games. So, you know, you got to, you still have an all American Jeremiah Robinson Earl, the, the cover named bear with, with Nova. So um, it's not necessarily surprising that they beat a 12 and a 13 seed. So we'll see how they handle Baylor. Yep. And really their only test, you know, that game against North Texas, they were down 21, 13 at one point in the first half. Um, but they were able to go on a 34 to six run to close the half. And, yeah. you know, halftime, they're up 20 points. And it's basically smooth sailing after that. Uh, like you said, Robinson, Robinson Earl was the one who led them uh, 20 points the first game, 18 points the second game. And then just some sort of some consistent co- contributions from guys like Justin Moore, Jermaine Sab- Samuels, and Caleb Daniels to sort of, you know, get them through the first weekend. And we'll see if they can test uh, Baylor. We're not going to get into that. We'll get into sort of previewing that on our next pod. But it'll be interesting to see if they can really match Baylor um, in the next round. Yeah, it's going to be an, it's going to be a fascinating uh, yin versus yang kind of pace matchup there. One team wants to get up and play really fast. We saw we saw this kind of thing with Baylor against Wisconsin, and, and Villanova kind of plays that Wisconsin style where they're going to try to really slow the game down, maximize possessions. We'll talk about that more later. Um, Arkansas, Biggs. Arkansas, they're a team – they're a fun team to watch. They – you know, Texas Tech, Texas Tech battled them very well. Um, they were able to escape with a two-point victory in the uh, in the in the round of 32. Um, their first round matchup wasn't too tough. They were able to beat Colgate by 17. But their team, who um, they're going to have, they're facing a 15 seed in this next round. You, you know, we'll get an Oral Roberts in a bit here, but you got to imagine Arkansas will be able to win that. Well, I know for that one. I, at this point, I mean, it's the Sweet 16. These two teams actually played earlier in the year, and, and Arkansas beat them by, I think, 11. But Oral Roberts, if I remember correctly, was actually up by a small margin at halftime when they played, like, in their non-con. Uh, but Arkansas, you're right, Arkansas is is really clicking. I, I thought that game against Texas Tech was maybe the best game of Sunday. Um, 
You know, there were a lot yeah. of really good games, and there was like a stretch there in about an hour, an hour stretch where, where every game was like just a wild finish, and and that one was terrific. I mean, Texas Tech had a couple of just grade A looks at the basket. Arkansas was, was kind of able to gut it out and survive. And uh, you're right. I mean, and Musselman's got Musselman's got the Razorbacks really really clicking right now. They don't have a ton of depth, but when you've got uh, you know Moses Moody is one of the better two guards in the country in, in terms of creating his own shot. Justin Smith has been playing really well, especially lately in 20. And then the freshman, um, their freshman guard that, uh, what's his face? Devontae Davis has really stepped it up as of late too. He's, he doesn't, he doesn't kind of stuff the stat sheet all season, but uh, he had a really nice first weekend with, you know, 12 points in their first game and 15 in their second one. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, you talk about Justin Smith, you know, his first game, 29 points, nine of 17 shooting, which was actually slightly overshadowed, not on the point side, but on the shooting percentage side. In his second game, he went 20 points on 9 of 11 shooting. That's just ridiculously efficient. And then, you know, like you talked about, Moses Moody was able to score 15 points. Uh, I think it was both games he scored 15 points. And then a couple solid contributions for Moses Moody and Devontae Davis in both of their games as well, um, with both scoring in double figures. And they're going to be going on to face Oral Roberts, who we talked about. And they're a team who, they've got two main guys, Biggs, in their first-round matchup. Uh, and I, I'm going to now pronounce his name correctly, Biggs. I did not last week. It's Kevin <laughs> O'Banner, not Obnor. And this next one's going to, I will still I still don't understand this one. But it's Max, I thought Abmas, because it's A-B-M-A-S. It's actually Acemas. And I don't know how... Uh, a B M A S became Ace Miss. Okay. Yeah, no. Uh, I'll apologize for the O'Banner one. I'm not apologizing for Ace Miss. Um, no, I, but, I, I'm not sure he's spelling his name. I'm not sure he's pronouncing his name correctly. To be honest with you, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't feel okay. Yeah, somewhere along the long lines, his ancestors decided it's Ace Miss, and I feel like for the last 20 years, he's just haven't been correcting people. And saying no, it's not Abmus. It's it's Ace. Kind of like uh, kind of like Chandler and Friends when the guy, what's the guy call him? Like, uh, oh, what is what, one of his coworkers calls him like Tobin or something weird? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> calls him something funny, and for years he just kind of goes with it. And then after finally, when he recognizes, he's like, well, I can't tell him now because it's been years that he's been calling me to- uh, maybe Toby. I think he's been calling him Toby. I hate to say it, Biz. I'm not a Friends fan. I will say though, How I Met Your Mother when they called Barney Swarley. That's okay, about yeah. how I feel about this one. That's a good one. <laughs> but in their in their first round matchup, those two combined for fifty nine of their seventy five points. Um, they're able to upset two seed Ohio State, who we sort of identified as a team that could be a little upset prone. Um, yeah, like I said, those two players scored fifty nine points. No other players on their team scored more than six points in this game. Wow. So Max Aismas, uh, if you're watching him play, you kind of think, man, this guy's a warrior, right? He's a, he's just a, he's a soldier out there. Like he's, he's uh he's just a fighter. Uh, John, I've got a list here. Max Aismas had four uh, scholarship offers coming out of Jesuit high school in Dallas, Texas in 2019. Okay. 5'11", 160-pound Max Aismas, a two-star recruit. His other three committable offers, not including Oral Roberts, Air Force, Army, and Navy. <laughs> See, seems to be a common denominator there, to be honest. The man's a warrior. 
Uh, um, another thing for this game, Biggs, is Oral Roberts, they were able to turn over Ohio State big time. They forced 16 turnovers compared to just six from the Golden Eagles. Yeah, turn- I mean, turnovers and free throws are, are the two big things, right? And Ohio State, I believe, shot 9 of 18 from the free throw line in addition to the 16 turnovers. And then, you know, you're talking about a two- or three-point game or whatever the score was, like, that that matters. And then Florida had 20 turnovers in a game that's decided by one point. You had 20 turnovers, like, you know, that's that's kind of boring stuff. But it's like, take care of the ball. And the, the teams that are still playing in the Sweet 16 are teams that don't turn the ball over at a really high rate. That's just not – it's not a recipe to win in these single elimination games. When the other team gets 15 more shot attempts than you, uh, they don't have to be as efficient. It's, mm-hmm. it's hashtag, hashtag math, John. I'm not a math guy, but generally if a team gets yeah. 15 more shots, they're probably going to have a better chance to score more points. And again in that game, or I shouldn't say again in that game, I'm actually moving on to the Florida game in the second round. Um, those two players, O'Banner and Acemas, scored 54 of their 81 points this time. Um, they're actually down 11 points in the second half, but we're able to make some big plays down the stretch and pull off an eight or an, yeah, an 81 to 78 victory. Yeah. The two guys, I mean, O'Banner had, had ever, he had had 58 points by himself in the first two games and Aceman said 55. So you're getting, you're getting over a hundred points in two games. Yep. The two guys average what, 56 and a half points a game between the two of them. Uh, it's uncanny watching. I mean, generally you just don't see college basketball where two guys can like carry the load like this. Uh, you wonder how long they can keep it up. And, you know, we, we obsess over, at least in the NBA, everybody obsesses over, like, a, a big three. You know, we got to have that third guy that can step it up. Um, Oral Roberts sure ain't getting one. They, they've got two guys that are really doing a lot of the load, at least offensively. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they're going to need they're gonna need all of it. Those guys need to keep scoring, and that's that's their role. Their their role is to to fill it up. they got to they gotta keep piling up points if they're going to have any chance to, to advance. All right, let's move on to the Midwest region here, Biggs. And this is the region that was originally led by Illinois as the one seed who were upset by Loyola Chicago. And I watched this game. This might have been my favorite second-round game to watch, Biggs, just because you watch these guys you know, get the ball to the high post with Crutwig and then just have – it's almost just like a circular motion with all their guards just running around around the high post, cutting to the hoop, running off of screens. And Krautwig's just finding players to pass to and get easy layups. And, you know, they don't do a lot of things average. They do a few things excellent is my takeaway from this Loyola, Loyola Chicago team. Yeah, we were talking about them a while ago, and, and I was kind of I – fi- I kind of fell into the trap of, I don't know if they've got a – I don't know if they've got a guard that can kind of create his own shot, right? That, that whole cliche, you need a guy that at the end of the shot clock and go get you a bucket – that that old stupid basketball saying, I, mm-hmm. I bought into that, and they don't need one. They their offense does the work for them. Their their offense is just so smooth. I mean, it, it's kind of Denver Nuggetsy, and 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 Crutwig is kind of the college Jokic, where you're right, he catches the ball at the high post, and they just kind of orbit around orbit around his center, and and, and it's like if if one guy isn't able to get it, just kind of cuts on through, and the next guy comes around, and, and they've got so many kind of screens that create assists. I don't know what I mean. Screen assist isn't a stat that college basketball you know keeps, but I bet you they have so many screen assists because of the amount of separation that all those dribble handoffs create. It, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, I, I know we're we're like conditioned to love watching teams that run and gun and shoot a ton of threes or all this athleticism, you know, with guys that that go and go and, go and get a bunch of dunks and NBA talent. I don't know how you can come away watching Loyola and not just appreciate the shit out of out of how they play basketball. It's just 
it's beautiful basketball. Yeah. And so the first round game, you know, they played Georgia Tech. Uh, it was close. Most of the game, they're able to pull away, get an 11 point victory. Um, if you're looking for sort of a star out of them outside of Crutwig, it would be Lucas Williamson, who, you know, I was writing an article that got posted today, um, www.midcourtmadness.wordpress.com. And Boom. talking about a guy named Lucas Williamson, who coming in averaging 8.6 points per game, scored 21 points against Georgia Tech. And I just got to find this number here. 14 points against Illinois, all off the bench. And so if you're looking for a guy outside of Crutwig to sort of keep an eye on, it'd be that Lucas Williamson. He's also just absolutely outstanding defensively. I mean, he was the guy that, that drew a lot of DeSumo in that matchup. And, I mean, he's just – he locked him up. I mean, DeSumo had his worst game of the season, and I don't think it's a – I don't think it's any coincidence that it was because Williamson was a harasser. I mean, he's six five and he's big and strong, and um, you know he was another key piece of that Final Four team back in 2018. That that's still there, and and you can tell. I mean, they just play like it. They play like grown. They play like old grown men who just know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. There's no sort of flinching. Um, how did you feel about them getting an eight seed? I know in retrospect, you know, do you think they should have been a higher seed? I know there was that was one of the teams that I think a lot of people said maybe got screwed on the seed line. And, uh, you know, Parrish and Norlander talk about this on, on their pod. We're not going to talk about anything else about that because we want people to focus on our pod. But the point that the point that they make, and, and it tracks, is that when you're screwing over some of these, like a Loyola, you're, you're not only just screwing them over by giving them an eight seed, but Illinois should not have to face a team as good as Loyola Chicago in the second round when you're a one seed. How do you feel about that? It's just so tough to gauge um, how to – when a team is overseed or underseed, I'd say in this case, I'm looking at the seven seeds, so just the seed line above them. I don't think Oregon or Florida they would jump, but Clemson and UConn, I guess I could see. And both of those teams are teams that lost to ten seeds this week. Um, as far as I've heard people say, as far as a six seed, I would identify BYU. I've got this theory, Biggs, with. Teams for the West Coast Conference, because that's the league that Gonzaga's in, and Gonzaga's always a good team. And I feel like the second best team in that conference always just gets some sort of a benefit of the doubt because, you know, they're the second best team in Gonzaga's conference, and Gonzaga's one of the best teams in the country. And that team, it's usually St. Mary's. This year, it just happened to be BYU. And I feel like that second best team always gets overseeded. So if you're looking for a six seed to possibly get Loyal Chicago to bump off, I would identify BYU. I agree with that. I, I would I would have said I, I thought they probably should have been higher than I mean, if I know the metrics, it's, it's hard because, you know, you look at some of these, you know, the strength of record, the strength of schedule, the opponents that they play through no fault of their own. They just didn't have a lot of high quality opportunities. Watch them play. I mean, isn't that what a selection committee is for? I mean, if we if we have a selection committee, aren't these guys supposed to be like the smartest people who watch basketball, who are able to, to make the tough decisions and decide like, Okay, I know Florida played in the SEC. I know Loyola Chicago played in the Missouri Valley, but I watch them play, and my eyes tell me Loyola is a hell of a lot better basketball team than Florida, you know, or or the same thing yeah. with Clemson. Yeah. We watch Clemson play. Who the hell is going to watch Clemson and think that's a better team than Loyola Chicago? I, I just don't see that, you know. And and I know Clemson played in the ACC, yeah. but I don't know. Like again, don't we just kind of are we overthinking that a little bit? It's like what team looks better to you, you know? That's what they're paid to do. They're paid. They're paid to be a basketball committee that knows something about basketball. It's not. We're not. We're not computer people. We're not supposed to be analyzing 
all this net stuff. I know we, I know we can. That's that's kind of an old school, maybe yelling at the clouds take from me. But I, I feel like there has to be a middle ground between understanding the metrics and understanding some of the the strength of record and strength of schedule and quality opportunities and stuff like that. With it meets in the middle with watch the team play. They're really good, you know. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, there's been a lot more going to the metrics in recent years. Um, you could argue whether or not it's made it better, but even with that, there's still its inherent limitations. Um, so it's never going to be perfect. No. Um, but yeah. Created a great second round but, matchup. I mean, Loyola yeah. Chicago takes out, takes out a one seed. And, and then certainly it's not the first time an eight seed's ever beaten a one seed. I mean, that's happened. That happens all the time. You know, there are upsets every year in the tournament. It doesn't mean every single time, like a, a, a 13 seed should be way higher because they happen to win a game. I mean, and so, I mean, I, I understand that side of it, too. Like, it, it's an upset. And maybe if Illinois played Loyola Chicago seven times, Illinois beats them four out of six, you know, but they just happen to win now. And that's what we love about the single elimination tournament is, boy, Loyola Chicago looked like a way better team on Sunday. I mean, it didn't even look close. Um, I just want to touch on Illinois just a bit. They just didn't seem to be in sync at all. You know, Ayodesumo, the All-American, had just nine points as a team. Um, they had 17 turnovers, um, 28% on three-pointers. It just seemed like they were forcing three-pointers. And they they are the first first one seed to be bounced from this year this year's tournament. And we talked about we've talked about this so many times where this is the team that you're gonna pick to go one game too far. They're so up and down. And lo and behold, I picked them to lose next round to Oklahoma State. So still. And I thought I was hedging when I did that. And I was still Wrong with my pick, but right on my prediction that I would pick them one seed, to, one one game too far. Yeah, I think I had them going elite eight in, in my in my brackets. So I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not uh, uh, not innocent here either. I would have picked them to beat Loyola Chicago. I do. I will say, I'm not. I'm not really surprised though. I mean, Loyola Chicago was a top ten Ken Palm team all season long, and they've got that cachet from from the Final Four run. Their coach is is terrific. And, and and to your point about how Loy, uh, Illinois looked just out of sync, I think Loyola Chicago is the reason that they looked so out of sync. I don't think that was just Illinois fumbling around and looking like shit on their own. I, I think I think Chicago does that to people. They rank number one in the country in defensive efficiency all season. They do that. All right, let's move on to the next uh, next team here. We got Oregon State, who uh, you know made it into the tournament by the skin of their teeth, winning the Pac-12 tournament, and they were able to knock off. A five and a four this weekend. The first team being your Frolanteers, Biggs. Yeah, nothing makes me happier than watching my Frolanteers uh, get just embarrassed in a first-round game. I love being right, John. I'm not right any like very often. I'm married now, so I'm almost never right. And I hear about every time I'm not right. Uh, so being right really felt good on that one. The Frolanteers, I was out on all season. They never convinced me that they were good. They somehow got a five seed for no reason other than that they were ranked high in the preseason. In Oregon State, a team that I'm still not convinced is really all that great, uh, kicked their ass. They were the better team the entire time. And they are led by Roman Silva, who had 16 points on a perfect 8 for 8 shooting um, and had three other guys scoring double figures, Jared Lucas, Zach Reichel, and Ethan Thompson with 14, 10, and 13 points. Um, and then they got to go against Oklahoma State, who has the presumptive number one draft pick in Cade Cunningham. And it, they just, much like Illinois, Oklahoma State was just jacking up three-pointers the whole time and just couldn't, you know, they they mounted a second-half comeback, but just couldn't get over that sort of four- to five-point deficit mark. 
It was an ugly basketball game. I mean, it really was. It was kind of disgusting with all the with all the fouls and all the turnovers. I mean, Oregon State tried to give the game away a number of times in the second half. I mean, they turned the ball over twenty times, John. They turned mm-hmm. the ball over twenty times and they still won by ten. That is, uh, that's startling. But you're right. I mean, Oklahoma State just it, it felt like it felt like they were just kind of panicking and. I felt like a little bit uh, like Kate Cunningham was just trying to do a little too much. I know he was, I know he came out and kind of said like, I'd like to do kind of the Carmelo deal where I lead my team to the, to the title. And it's like uh, the second, the second he said that it was like hard stop. You're going to, you're going hero ball too much. And just took a lot of stupid shots. The kid went six of 20, you know, and he took 11 threes. Like you're, you're six, eight. You're the, you're the biggest, uh, strongest, most skilled guy on the floor, get get to the paint. You know, I, I know he took 10 free throws, but um, I just thought they took a lot of stupid shots and really, really forced some stuff. They only turned the ball over eight times. They shot 27.7% from the field. That is, uh, that is special, you know, kind of, kind of eyesore. But, um, you know, credit to Oregon State, too. I mean, they, they've won five straight elimination games. They were, they were dead in the water. There was no chance they were even near the bubble. Uh, towards the end of the season, you know, fifth in the Pac-12, which maybe we should reassess on on how bad the Pac-12 is, and, and maybe better be better as a podcast and instead of buying into the national narrative from our own opinion on the Pac-12, maybe a pretty legit conference. But uh, I mean, they've won five straight no. elimination games, and they shot ninety-one percent from the free throw line. They went thirty-two of thirty-five from the free throw line last night. Uh, you want to talk about free throws, John? We we are pro fundamentals. We are pro doing the little things. I consider free throws part of that. Let's see. Moving on, Biggs. We got Syracuse, and I was wondering, would you like, I don't know, 30 seconds to gloat about your prediction about Jim Beheim and being a double-digit seed? Yeah, I tell, you, I tell you what, John. I mean, you just never bet against double-digit Syracuse in the first the first round of the NCAA tournament or in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. They're so, they're so just different. You don't get to play them. You know, the ACC teams make them look like shit all season because they get to play them two times – every single season or more and they get used to it and they practice for it and they know exactly how to handle it. And when you get into these tournament settings, these teams just have not seen, they've seen two, three zones before, but uh, it's a combination of a college basketball players are less skilled. I think now than they used to be because of all of the, there's so much athleticism in the game and guys are so good in transition. uh, And so much of AAU basketball is such this running, this run and gun high screen and roll kind of basketball where there's not as much focus on, on half court offense everything Syracuse forces you to do is in the half court offense. And, uh, you know, there, there's this, there's this new, this new age take on, you know, Mori ball, right. It's all three pointers and layups. There's, it's all analytics, right. That's where the math tells us are the most efficient shots in the game. They protect against those things. They don't let you shoot threes. Everybody thinks a two, three zone. It's just cast away from three. They don't let you do that. They spread the floor. They, they cover shooters and they have so much length when you saw it. Um, you know, West Virginia had a couple of deep casting threes, but, a lot of times that's fool's gold. It's just not – they're not great shots for, for college-level players. They leave the wide open the middle of the floor, and guys just – there's so few players that are comfortable at the free throw line handling the ball and kind of traffic. Their defense is just such a – it's such a mess for, for people to play against. And it drives me nuts when I see, like, casual not basketball people kind of say, like, just just get the ball to the middle of the zone and you'll be fine. It's like that that's not – other coaches think about that. They don't just let them do it. You know what I mean? And, you know, going back to how, you know, their zone is just tougher opponents. If you don't have that experience with it um, to handle, they uh, 
they held their opponents in the first round against uh, San Diego State, held them to 35.8% from the field, and then against West Virginia, 37.1%. And so it's one of those things where if you're not used to it, you're not used to that zone, um, you're not used to their length, it's just tough to come in and score points against them. And then on the flip side of that, Buddy Beheim is just unconscious right now. He had 30 points um, in their first round game, 11-15 shooting, which included 7 of 10 from three-point line. And then in that game against West Virginia when the Mountaineers were mounting a comeback, he just seemed to – he had like two, th- two or three possessions in a row where you could tell he was just feeling it. And it was one of those things where when he touched it, he was going to shoot it no matter what. And he was making them. Yeah, if he was the old NBA Jam guy, like when he shoots it, it's got like flames attached to it right now. Yeah, he's feeling it, man. The, he's he's throwing into a big old hoop. He's he's on fire. I mean, he's he's had performances like this throughout the regular season for Q's. I mean, he averaged like seventeen points a game or something like that. I mean, he was one of the leading scorers in the ACC. I mean, the kid can the kid can score, and he's six foot seven. He moves really well without the ball. They they set a ton of screens for him, so it's not like he's he's got to kind of manufacture all of his offense. Uh, but he's also really, really good at just using his length and using his size to just kind of body up guys and and elevate over over smaller defenders. And you're right. I mean, he's he was he was awesome. I mean, they needed all those points against West Virginia, and I mean, he just kind of dominated offensively against San Diego State, a really good defensive team. It's impressive, and they're they're gonna he's gonna get another big test here this upcoming weekend when they play Houston because that's that's a, another grade A defensive group. We'll see if he can keep it going because if he does, I mean, he's got to be one of the better stories of the tournament so far, right? Yeah, and you actually you provided me with a good segue there into Houston. And that game against Rutgers, that was a fun game to watch. Did you, were you able to watch that one? Yeah, I sure was. That was that was kind of one of those right in that right in that uh, middle kind of part of the Sunday afternoon slate where all of the games were coming down to the wire. And that was one of them where Houston just – they looked dead in the water with like four or five minutes to go in that game. They were down, I think, eight. And it just looked like, man – this just ain't going to happen. Rutgers is going to get the Sweet 16. It's going to be the one Big Ten team that advances. Somehow Rutgers, the flag bearer for the Big Ten. Uh, not so fast, yeah. my friend. Houston just kind of grinds out um, late in the game. It seemed like Rutgers' offense went in the tank a little bit in terms of they're just trying to kill clock too much. And, and I think the announcers even alluded to it. It's like, you, you need to keep scoring. Like, you're not going to be able to win this game with the amount of points you have. You need to keep scoring. And, and they just didn't. And Houston just kind of, they just they just keep coming at you, man. They just They just... They keep grinding and, and they hit the offensive glass and um, you know Dejan Giroux. I think you you pointed out he, he was playing with some sort of a hip thing and yeah he had he a hip just, injury from his prior game on, on the on, on both ends of the floor and Quentin Grimes I think was dealing with something late in the game too he, he guts it out. It's just kind of a gritty uh, you know junkyard dog kind of team. Yeah, and you know Houston was down as much as I want to say ten during the second half and that included being down by I want to say. Was it eight points, nine points with about five minutes left? And they were just able to go on a big run to finish the game. And they had a play right at the end. They're down by, I want to say they're down by two. And they had a tip in. Oh, it's actually, I'm, I'm on like the game cast right now. I just showed the highlights. I don't know who made this play, but it it was, I think, Giroux went drive and another player, number 12, came in and put up the tip up, made it, and got fouled to give them the lead um, with under a minute left. And so... It was just a fun game to watch. Um, Rutgers was not able to hit their three to tie it at the end. And so Houston moves on to the Sweet 16. Can we talk about just how great it is that college basketball is being dominated by big guys and, like, physical mean people rather than just pretty boy guards who want to dribble around and shoot threes? 
this USC game right now, it's just like men versus children. Like, they are kicking the living shit out of them on the ground. They're up by 30. Six minutes ago, this is Kansas. This isn't some like Sister Mary <laughs> School of the Blind. Like, USC is beating Kansas by 30 points. And it's because they're just like, we're big as shit. You're a bunch of little turds. And we're just going to ram the ball into the lane. And they got nothing for it. And I'm here for it. I love it. Screw all the small ball. Give me all the big people. Get as many big people on the floor as possible. I don't want to chew jump shots. Layups are more fun. I said it. Suck it. You know, let's just take that and you know, we'll go out, out of order here a little bit. We're going to go on to the Michigan region first. But let's talk about USC quick. Um, you know, in their first round game, they were able to beat Drake by you know double digits. They face off against Kansas second round. And currently, as we're talking right now, there's just under five minutes left, and they're up seventy-six to forty-four against Kansas. Yeah, I mean, they just—they look absolutely outstanding. I mean, I—I I picked USC to win this game mostly on the assumption that Kansas would be without a couple of their front court guys. Uh, they have those front court guys. McCormick is there. Jalen Wilson's there. You know, to what effect? I don't know because COVID. But holy hell, they're by thirty-five points with five minutes ago in this game. I mean, this is just absurd. Um, how about the pack? Can we? Can we give the Pac-12 some damn respect? I know you hate on yeah. the Pac-12 all the time. Uh, that's a belief, I think, that you've gained through listening to other people tell you that the Pac-12 sucks. John, I want you to form your own opinion right now. What do you think about the Pac-12? Um, I would say the Pac-12 is just overperforming at this point. You know, Oregon, their game against Iowa, they got out to a hot start. You could, let's call a spade a spade here. They were well-rested, okay? They had their feet under them. Iowa did not. Um, Iowa... Still shot pretty well, but Oregon, I think they shot 59% in the first half and got out to their big lead. Um, USC, I don't know what to make of them. Like you talked, they're bigs. Um, Kansas just sucks right now. Um, Florida State was able to beat Colorado, so there's a feather in my cap. ACC beat Pac-12. I win there. There you go. Um, UCLA, I, I mean, I already told you about – my feelings about BYU. And if that's the best team they've played this week, I rest my case there. It's not that impressive because they their next round game is against the 14 seed. And then who else they have in the Pac-12? Oregon State. I, okay, I'll give them some respect beating Oklahoma State in that second round. Okay. And actually pretty handily too. Okay. So we're going to so we're going to we're still going to go with the Big 12 then with uh, the team that won the Big 12 tournament, need I remind you, lost to Abilene Christian uh, in the first round, a 14 seed. Kansas, the number two team in the Big 12, currently down by 30 to uh, USC, uh, Pac-12 champion. Iowa. I'm actually I'm sw- I'm switching my stance on best team, best conference in the country. SEC, SEC. Bama, Arkansas. Yep. Yeah. They're the best team. Yeah. They're you best might conference. Be, you might have. They might have. The, they're somehow the most top heavy. Talk about. Uh, they already have football, and now they're coming for basketball. Unbelievable. Yeah. So you see right there, I, I like diverted. Just enough to where you're not in the Pac-12 anymore. So, boom. Let's move on, Biggs. Um, like I said, Oregon, you're sort of darling this year. They played pretty well today. Boy, did they ever. I tell you what, they're really going to make layups. Uh, that's all Iowa apparently wanted to give them. It was a it was a layup line the whole game. I mean, the, the question around Iowa at the beginning of the year, all of last year, was there's no question about the offense. They can score. Can they ever play any defense? And the answer was an emphatic no, we cannot. We are not going to play any defense. We are either not we are not capable of playing good defense. We have no interest in playing good defense. Probably a combo of all of those things. 
Uh, Oregon is not that good of a basketball team. They should not be scoring a hundred points on you. Um, and Iowa made them look like an NBA. They made them look like Gonzaga out there. And I know you said, you know, what are you supposed to do when a team shoots sixty percent? Put a hand up. You know, maybe get in a passing lane once in a while. You know, put <laughs> give a crap on defense. Uh, Iowa just had had no answer. And I, I know Oregon didn't have to play the the previous night, so maybe there is a little bit of uh, extra rest factor. They're twenty years old, twenty one year olds. Iowa shouldn't be shouldn't be fatigued after one game. It's not like Iowa had to grind out a win over a, over a fifteen seed Grand Canyon. So I, I don't think that's a thing. I think Oregon just matched up with them really well. They had a great game plan, give Garza his points, and they neutralized everybody else. How many points did Bohannon, Frederick, and uh, McCaffrey combine for in the starting five? Uh, that's a great question, Biggs. Um, three of their starting five, the players you just mentioned, combined for zero points on eight attempts. And a total of – I'm not going to go with total here. I'm just going to figure out – a rough average, about 15 minutes between them average. So I don't know what happened. I was not watching this game. I had other things going on. and I- It was it was a bloodbath from the start. I mean, those guys just gave them, gave them absolutely nothing. C.J. Frederick gave, gave them absolutely nothing. Um, and I think the game plan was basically for Oregon, we're going to switch everything on the perimeter. We're going we're gonna to mostly kind of – we're going to try to dig down a little bit on Garza, but if Garza kind of gets his points, he's going to get his points. And we're not letting C.J. Frederick and Jason Bohannon and Joe Wieskamp pile up 15 threes on us because that's how they beat teams. And, you know, Wieskamp had a couple – he had like 17 points but wasn't real efficient. And those other guys just did absolutely nothing. And, boy, Oregon looked awfully good. Yeah, I feel – again, I kind of feel validated in that one. Let's not focus on all the picks that I got wrong, but let's focus on how I had Oregon. Uh, tell me I'm smart. Okay. And handsome. You're okay, I guess. Uh, moving tall. on, Biggs. Let's go to Craig – Let's go to Creighton, who uh, knocked out your Gauchos in the uh, first round. How do you feel? I thought we, I thought we were going to talk about the ones I got wrong. Gaucho down. That was uh, that was unfortunate. Um, tell you what, that was one of the better games I think on Saturday. The uh, the Creighton Santa Barbara game was 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 very entertaining. Came down to the wire. Came down to some free throws at the end. San Diego, or, uh, yeah, Santa Barbara had a great chance at the end. There, their big guy uh, had a had a shot right at the rim, and you know, we're a, we're a pro fundamentals podcast, John. When you when you shoot the ball on the left side of the rim, shoot with your left hand. Shoot a left handed layup. He probably makes that shot. They win the game. Boom! Kid can't make. Kid can't shoot a left handed layup. He shoots with his right hand. He misses the shot. That's all there is to it. Make a left handed layup, kids. Yep, like you said, Zagorowski uh, hit some clutch free throws at the end and actually led them with 17 points, 7-11 shooting, and then followed that up with a 20 point performance against Ohio just earlier today. Um, they had a few players, Damian Jefferson, um, Bishop Mahoney, Mitch Ballack. They all chipped in. All of them had double figures. And this is a team who, you know, I was looking at the box score. They don't, they play like seven guys. Uh, I think they're, you know, they're going to go against Gonzaga next round and they're going to need all seven of those guys to perform very well. Um, but like I said, we're not previewing next weekend. Just tell me about this week. Yeah, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I mean, over the weekend, we had a ton of big upsets. You you mentioned it. Every seed except a 16 seed won a game in this tournament. The Monday slate was 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 a lot of was a lot of teams that were were upset specials the previous night. And boy, we had a lot of lopsided performances. What do you make of that? There were there were a ton of blowouts in the second round. Um, is there anything yeah, to that? What do you what I do you make of that? The games that. just haven't been real competitive today. 
No, I'm looking at, I see, as far as just single-digit victories, I see Michigan over LSU, which we'll get into of an eight-point margin. And that's the only one that's not a double-digit win from the Monday slate of games. Um, I guess, I think, what if it's just sort of a regression to the mean? We had all these great games Sunday, all these close games, and then, you know, statistics just saying, oh, we need all these double-digit games for Monday. Yeah, I mean, that's what that's what makes the tournament the tournament, right, is all these upsets in the moment. There's nothing better than watching a watching a, uh, you know, a plucky underdog kind of upset the the big boy. You know, nothing better than watching Ohio knock out Virginia. You're reigning defending your reigning national champion, Virginia. You know, that that upset in the moment is awesome. Watching uh, UCLA destroy BYU is that one, that one doesn't feel as right because that's uh, that's that's kind of a blue blood versus uh, that's kind of backwards. Let, let's let's retract that one. Uh, nothing like watching Oral Roberts though knock out Big Bad Ohio State, right? Although they they actually won the game too. So let's retract that one too. I'm not doing very well. Some of these games, the Abilene Christian, you know, knocking off Big Bad Texas in their home state. Well, then they regress. They got to play UCLA, a team that is a lot better than a typical 11 seed. And you're right, the water finds its level. They get their ass kicked. I think that the upsets are great for the first round of the tournament. They make really, really bad second round games, though, and that's and that's kind of what I think we're feeling like today, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, and then yeah, we talked about Gonzaga a little bit. Um, not really tested too much. Oklahoma kept it close, um, somewhat. Yeah, Gonzaga into the forced. second half. Like Gonzaga was able to pull away at the testing Gonzaga. I could see. I mean, if Oregon gets hot again, I could see them testing them in the Elite Eight. Um, USC, I guess they have the size, but I don't. I think it's going to be Oregon, Gonzaga. I guess I can see Oregon testing them. I think Gonzaga is free and clear through to the championship game, though. Yeah. What? Who? Who do you think? I guess on the on the bottom side of the bracket, if it's is it Michigan? Is it Alabama? Do any of these teams? Is it is it Florida State because of all their size? Anybody? I mean, Gonzaga. They just look like such a juggernaut, which they have all season. I, but- they reminded you again. I think it, I, I hate saying this because I'm probably going to eat my words, and then a Pac-12 team will make the Final Four. But I think Baylor is the only team that can test them. I would I would tend to agree with you. I think Baylor is the most equipped. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated to see if if Alabama could give them a game just because they defend and they shoot the three ball so well that you know maybe they get on one of those Villanova from what was it 2018 kind of run where they just get absolutely scorching from the three point line. And Gonzaga, while their defensive metrics are okay, like. I think you can you could score on them, and they play so fast that you could really score on them. But they just their offense is just so methodical. I mean, they just they just kind of keep coming at you. It's how often do teams go on like extended runs against Gonzaga? Because it's hard to string together stops against them. Um, all right, I'm gonna take uh, that segue you gave me, Biggs. I'm gonna talk about Alabama and their hot shooting from three pointer. Just earlier today, they shot 53 percent uh, from beyond the arc. Um, Shackleford had five of eight from three, leading to 21 points. Petty, four from nine for three for 20 points. Um, and then they had the three other guards, Quinterly, Alex Reese, and Josh Primo. Um, those three combined shot 7-15 from beyond the arc as well. And they just – this game against Maryland today was not close. No, and I mean, if you just you, – you watch the two teams, I mean, Maryland is just severely under-talented compared to Alabama. I think Maryland beating – beating UConn was a testament to like their their kind of toughness level and just how they're 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 uber physical and they're just they're mean and they're tough you know and, and that's to be celebrated 
And until you run up against an Alabama team, that they, they just don't have the firepower. You know, Maryland scored 77 points, and that's probably more than – they played as well as they possibly could have offensively, and they lost by 20 points. I mean, Alabama is just yeah. kind of on another level than them. And, and I think I – mean, how do you feel about Alabama? I mean, we they talk about one of the more impressive ter- teams of the tournament here. You beat Maryland by 20, you pour in 96 points, you knock in 16 threes. That's kind of what they can do, John. I mean, at their ceiling, how good are they? If they play like they do today, they beat Gonzaga in the Final Four, I think. They're good enough to, right? Yeah. And I think from that side of the bracket, I think out of all those teams, you factor in that Michigan doesn't have Isaiah Livers and probably won't. Um, I think from the left side of the bracket, Alabama has the best chance out of any of those teams to knock off Gonzaga. I would agree. I would agree. Michigan. I mean, Michigan gave a Michigan LSU game today was was one of the better games of Monday. I thought, and yep. and, and really impressive that they were able to just kind of keep keep producing and, and they kind of pumped in more guys. Like Chandi Brown came off the bench and uh, you know had a terrific game. Eli Brooks had a really good game for them. I mean, they scored eighty six points. I mean, without Isaiah Livers and, and really Franz Wagner, I think had fifteen, but he was kind of he was really quiet until late in the game. Dickinson didn't do a ton. He had 12 points, 11 boards. It's just kind of a workman-like double-double. But I think Michigan showed they're a lot more than just Isaiah Livers. You know, it's kind of like Villanova with, with Gillespie. It's like this team isn't a one seed just because of one player. And I think sometimes we we forget that a little bit. And it's like, God, M- Michigan, what's so special about them is they are not they are not Iowa. It's not Luca Garza and friends, you know, or – or. Uh, they don't. They just. Don't, they don't rely on just one guy. They've got a lot of pieces and a lot of horses in there that can, that can really step up and, and take more of that pie. I thought that was. I thought they were really impressive this weekend, and that LSU win was was good. And you mentioned Shondi Brown. Um, he had twenty one points off the bench for them. And then as far as LSU, they had two big performers: Cam Thomas with thirty points today and twenty seven points from Javante Smarts. Um, but just couldn't keep up with the uh, sort of offensive onslaught from Michigan. So Michigan is able to withstand not having Isaiah Livers this weekend and get to the Sweet 16. And they're going to be facing off against Florida State next week who can throw a lot of different things at you. We've talked about this team. They're very All their guys are very versatile as far as what positions they can play. And Colorado you know, kept up with them during the first half and – shortly into the second half, but Florida State was just able to pull away and get a 71-53 to victory today. Yeah, it got ugly late. I mean, Florida State's defense just kind of keeps coming at you. Colorado had 19 turnovers. Florida State's size and length and, and just kind of all that athleticism that, that you kind of mentioned they could throw at people, it just wears you out, you know, and, and they play so many guys. I mean, they had – how many guys played more than 10 minutes? They had 10 guys that played double-figure minutes for them, I think. They just, they just keep coming at you in waves, and – you know, it's, it's rarely one guy that kind of puts up a big scoring effort, but what makes them so special is Anthony Polite was the guy tonight. He had 22. He came into the game, I think, like nine points a game. Um, they don't have just one guy that you got to lock in on. They have they have just so many guys that can potentially score for them. It, it makes it hard to prepare for them, and, and you know what you're going to get defensively, which is just a ton of their grown men out there, basically. And that, that makes them a fascinating team come – come tournament time in, the, in these one-game situations where they can really muck a game up, and it can be any number of different guys that kind of knock them, uh, kind of put them over the edge with, with some shot making. Yeah, and you talked about how their minutes are sort of uh, divvied up. You know, I just pulled up their season statistics. So this is for the season as a whole, not just today. Um, 
they have nine guys who average 14 or more minutes per game. And no no one averages more than 20, 29. Or no, let me take that back. No one averages more than 30 minutes per game. And along with that, they don't have that one guy who's going to have 17 or 18 points. Their leading scorer is MJ Walker with 12.5. They have Raekwon Gray, 12.2. Scotty Barnes, who actually, for the most part, comes off the bench. I think he's had a couple starts in there. He's got 10.6. Um, but they just come at you with you know not one guy who's it's his job to score. They just have to come at you with you know running good offense and whoever scores scores. Yeah, that's why that matchup against Michigan, I think, is going to be really interesting because Michigan plays a really short bench. Florida State's got just a ton of a ton of guys that can defend, and I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated to see that one. And, and both these teams have had a ton of success in recent years over the last handful of tournaments. I think both of them have, they, they're always in the Sweet 16. You know, we don't associate. You know, all the, all the focus all year is always just on on Duke and Kentucky and Kansas and and Carolina and some of these other schools. Florida State and Michigan are are like really good programs who just consistently win a ton. And, you know, they're going to match up in the Sweet 16. I think it should be a really great game. And so there's really just one more team I want to talk about. Or, yeah, let's talk about UCLA bigs. And, I mean, we touched them on them a bit earlier, but I know just from watching these games with you this weekend, you were enamored with one player in particular, and that's Johnny Juzang. Yeah, I love I love Johnny Juzang and I love Jaime Jaquez, the two the two swingmen for for UCLA. And Juzang was was outstanding again. And he was he was great all weekend. I think he averaged over twenty in in their three games combined. And, and Jaquez was was terrific as well. This game UCLA really didn't. I mean, it wasn't like they just. I felt I, I there was one of those games where five minutes into the game it just felt like there was no doubt UCLA was going to win, and you could just kind of stop paying a lot of attention to it. It just didn't feel like they had to really work all that hard. Abilene Christian, you know, knocking off Texas, I think water found its level. You know, their their offense was was pretty putrid. And UCLA just kind of had one of those workmanlike, we're just, we're just going to survive in advance. But I think they did all their work early, beating Michigan State and, uh, and BYU. It, it felt like the games got easier for them the longer they were in the tournament. All right, anything else you got, Biggs? I think I think that's it now for, for now, John. I think I'm I'm truly excited for these Sweet 16 matchups. I'm super pumped that they're that they're all on the weekend, so they all get their standalone games. I'm really fascinated with with a lot of them, and, and I can't wait to to preview them with you here later in the week. So we will look forward to releasing that. I'm looking for a Friday release on that one, probably. And you know, like Big said, we'll be previewing all those matches. We'll try and dig into some of the possible Elite Eight matchups as well. Um, until then, you know, check out our work. Go to midcourtmatters.wordpress.com. Um, connect with us on Twitter. Um, leave us a review anywhere that you can. And we will see you on Friday. Boom.